This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Raj Kumar is the Group Brand and Reputation Director at Aviva PLC, the largest UK insurer. Prior to Aviva, he held leadership roles in Asia and Europe with companies like Siemens, Experian and Nokia. Raj believes that high performance comes from focusing on building a positive, honest and open, inclusive culture that embraces change. He's on the board of trustees at the Princess's Teaching Institute, one of the Prince of Wales charities, helping teachers rediscover their love of the subject, inspiring them to bring the latest thinking into the classroom across the UK. Raj Kumar, welcome to Clientside. Morning and thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Your, your background and history is really, really fascinating. You get your BA in economics from Delhi University before getting your MBA in 1999. And your first job after graduation was a sales role with Siemens. How did those early experiences influence the way that your career subsequently developed? I think first I would say is that uh, coming from India, uh, your parents have quite a few expectations of oneself. So you can either be, as they say in India, a doctor, an engineer, or a failure. <laughs> and I ended up being the failure. So an economics degree was just not good enough. Uh, but looking, looking back at this, uh, I, was, I was really happy that Siemens was my first company. I didn't know anything about technology as such. And it was a very technical company, it was telecoms, uh, the telecoms division that I worked in. And uh, sales, uh, sales included sales and marketing. It was sort of the same function over there. But I quickly started owning one of the largest accounts uh, that I had built up actually over there, it's called Airtel, one of the largest uh, telecom companies in India actually. And what it taught me was that yes, you know, while I may not have the technical skills and I went in there feeling a bit unsure about myself, ultimately it's about satisfying a need. Hmm. And ultimately it's about if you could express that to your customers in the right way, explain it to them, build the big relationships, you will succeed. So it taught me that I didn't need to know everything and have experience in everything to succeed. And it also taught me actually the uh, the importance of having a great team around you because the team is then balanced. Uh, and that balanced team helps you across many, many hurdles. Mm. So for me, uh, those were the two big things I took across, uh, actually. Really interesting philosophy. And we'll see how that plays out because your career spans both telecoms, uh, Vera, obviously, insurance, very different industries. So you, so that philosophy on how you think about sort of your own personal development really comes through. And we'll talk about that in more detail as we as we continue. Uh, but you became head of marketing for Europe for Nokia in 2010. In 2011, you moved to Experian as head of marketing for EMEA, very different business to, to Nokia. What factors led to that decision? And, and how did you adjust to that new role? So for me, it's about uh... I've always been a, a bit of a curious person at heart, and it's led to a lot of changes uh, in my life, uh, moving continents, whether it was from India to, uh, to other places in Asia, to Europe, uh, and working across really Africa, Europe, Asia. I've always been interested in, um, in the cultural sides of things, how different people view different uh, situations. How you, it always amazes me how you can view the same set of data and come to completely different conclusions. Hmm. So it was that curiosity and that uh, understanding is what I uh, what what actually motivates me in one sense. So I also like the feeling of being uh, able to challenge myself 
and Experian was a quite a different business. It's a very good business. I looked around in the world and about what was it, 2010, 2009, 2009, 2010, and said, you know, I see data and um, analytics being booming and being so critical to what we do. And Experian was the biggest company, uh, one of the best companies in that field, uh, really innovative, good company. Hmm. And uh, I was lucky enough to have a chance to go there. And what I said in the beginning held me in great stead, which was I didn't know anything about, well, I didn't know more about data, I guess, uh, and analytics, but not to the degree that which Experian deals with. And again, uh, it was the fact that we were trying to distill that into a proposition that mattered across a huge variety of uh, geographies and companies. And for that, you need to start from the customer. And that's where, where my sort of ability comes into being. Um, and that was that was it, really. Mm, really interesting. So tell us what Experian looked like at the time when you joined in sort of early 2011. What problems were you trying to solve from a marketing point of view? And tell us a little bit about what the company looked like at the time. So uh, it was a new division, actually, and uh, which was the EMEA Europe Middle East Africa division. It was a completely new division. They were setting up. It was a new management team. And I was brought in to set up the marketing team as well. And it covered a sort of fast geography, really, from Russia to South Africa. And uh, as you might imagine, the data assets uh, varied quite significantly in quality from the Nordics to uh, to to other countries in the Middle East to other countries in South Af- in Africa. So, what we were really looking for one was to set up the team, to set up the basics. We had uh, countries where we didn't even have a web presence where we were trying to set up. Hmm. So it was from the real basics of setting up a website, doing the SEO, making sure that you have some decent content flowing through a a Google Translate, Hmm. uh, to actually building the teams in those countries. Uh, And finally, looking at a value proposition that could go across that. And uh, and that's where it's the importance of a great team and the chemistry again. So our CEO, Charles Butterworth, a really great guy. And he was great at setting that vision. And I learned looking at him as to how he took people along, which was almost a transformative journey, actually. Mm. Uh, And Experian is quite an innovative organization. They're constantly looking at how data and analytics can improve people's lives, what new data could make sense and be added on. Uh, And really, I learned from that agility of the organization and how it collaborated across its many units and functions to execute really quickly. A lot of companies I've seen are really good at strategizing and identifying, but very slow at moving. Experian is very good at uh, agility and staying ahead of the competition because it ruthlessly sort of focuses on uh, on the customer needs. So we'll we'll talk about your time at Aviva in in a moment, but you've you've mentioned building teams a number of times now so far in the interview, and I'm I'm curious to understand what you've taken away from all of the experiences that you've had, all the roles that you've had, in terms of how best to think about building teams, the skills, the attributes, how best to hire motivate and build world-class teams that are capable of executing your vision what have you learned from all of your experiences so far it's a very interesting question and you know you find yourselves in in different situations and i think for me um a lot of the times you don't have the luxury to hire massive masses of people in different kind of teams so i think for me firstly it's equally about you as a leader building the culture with your existing teams so setting the vision, uh, getting the buy-in from the people, getting them excited to be part of something. And the culture cues, I believe, are always set from the from how leaders behave. Mm. So bringing your authentic self, really, 
is quite important. And the way you behave, the way you behave under pressure and the stress, especially, is quite important because that's when mm. your values really matter. You, sure. Right. It's otherwise it's easier to just put them up on a board. So for me, that uh, and within the I'll come on to the hiring teams also, but within the existing teams, talent development is so important. Succession planning, and by that I mean talent development for the whole organization. Too often, when people think about talent development, they only think of future stars. Or they only think of succession planning. So who's going to be my successor and I'll you know, sort of help them or who's the high potentials and I'll help them. Well, that's well and good. But ultimately, to grow the organization, you should develop everybody's talent. And that is key for me, that uh, everyone has the opportunity to progress, not just the high potentials. You might spend more on them, but that doesn't mean you don't spend anything on anybody else. Mm. Uh, and as far as I think hiring goes, I think, yes, of course, if I take the technical sides uh, out of it, really. What we're looking at is a match in our values and behaviors. Uh, and also, our, and it also is what you need. So some people uh, are really good at looking at the past trends and coming to a conclusion of you know what you could do today. Some people are much more future oriented. They look at today and they go, what could this be tomorrow? Mm. Some people are really good to be given singular tasks and they do it well. Some people are absolutely hate singular tasks and want to be involved in five things at the same time. Sure. Some people are a little bit more competitive. Some people are a bit more collaborative. Some people, you know, some people appreciate you directly telling them what's wrong. Some people go, oh, that was really blunt and hard. I don't like that at all. Mm. So I think there's so many different uh, ways uh, and in which people behave and people expect you to behave that the team, when it comes together, is not only just good skills, but I think it should match each other's up. So if you have some people who are good at multitasking, you probably might need some who are good at you know, single tasking and getting things that done also. Sure. Uh, so it's all that and understanding the kind of people you require in your team is key. And not just from a skill sense, it is from this sense of how will they fit in? How, what is their view uh, of the world? What is their view of how they make decisions? Do they make snap decisions based on experience or do they require loads and loads and loads of data and analytics? Uh, and all these are really important. And what you need is a good mix, a very diverse team of a good mix because it helps you, propels you to go out of your comfort zone. And for me, going out of your comfort zone really is what propels you to sort of future success. Really interesting. Are you responsible for seeing that within all of the people that you hire or do you rely on a team of people to identify? I'm, I'm really interested in the process that you go through to sort of uncover what skills and behaviours match up best to bring a, a high performing functioning team together. Are, are you responsible for doing that? Do you sit down individually with, with each of the people that come into your team to sort of figure out whether or not they have the right skills and attributes or is it are you relying on a wider team or a process to kind of uncover that um because some leaders are more hands-off when it comes to bringing people into their organizations and more and some are very sort of hands-on but depending on the size of your organization and the size of your teams it could be very time consuming doing that i'm just interested in your in your process for and how you think about that i think uh Yes, I do like to speak to everyone uh, as such. may not be an interview per se, but just to get to know them. Um, we do rely on a process, uh, as all large companies do. We do have our um, people function with us in interviews. We do have our, um, we'd also do colleague interviews. So people should be able to, with their peers, 
or who would be their peers if they joined the company, and they'd be able to figure out a little bit about the person uh, and how they, you know, how, how, what is their view on on perspectives on many different things, hmm. and that forms the picture. And then when you go to a, a another round of interview, you'd probably have a little bit more scenario planning and a little bit more challenging on how you certainly think about situations that you might find yourself in. And finally, I guess for me, it is it's just to have a chat. Really, mm-hmm. it's not such an interview uh, at, at at the end of that day then, and to just get that chemistry between both of you, mm-hmm. uh, me and whoever the person is, and just to get a feel of them. So even if they wouldn't work for me directly, it's just it's uh, it's just nice to know uh, the team uh, even before they start. Take that opportunity right in the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about your time at Aviva. In 2019, you became Group Brand and Reputation Director for Aviva. What does the Group Brand and Reputation Director for Aviva do? Well, it does uh, what it says on the tin, really. So I'm there to build and protect the Aviva brand and compel the bu- business, basically, for uh, to action to achieve this. Uh, because if you look at business today, the expectations of business have risen manifold. Uh, we're expected, businesses are expected to have a view on societal topics, on uh, on social causes, uh, not just turning a profit, you know. Uh, and it and it makes a sense to look at that brand in that broader spectrum because uh, each brand, as it builds up, has a reputation, not just in the marketing sense of uh, what our customers think of our brand, but broadly, what do people who are not our customers also think, uh, think about Aviva? And it could be what do the NGOs think? It could be what do what do employees think? Obviously, it could be also on what do our partners feel about us and think about us, whether they are supplying to us or whether we are supplying to them. And if you look at that holistically, you start to see really how your company is perceived, how your brand is perceived. And the marketer's challenge is always to look at uh, ways in which you can sort of engage with your customer and make sure that you're satisfying those needs. But the broader reputation side of it brings in the rest of it, which is as a package, how are you looking at? What are you focusing at? And what are you building? Mm. Are you building a good legacy across the board? Uh, and that's quite important. And and that's where I think for us also, uh, we look at our behaviors, we look at our policies, uh, people policies, we look at our values, we look at how we communicate internally. Uh, and it all goes in, all those moving parts uh, go into making a great brand. And for me, that it's that holistic picture. Aviva's purpose is with you today for a better tomorrow. What does that mean to the way that you treat your customers and wider stakeholders? Um, I believe purposes are always lived rather than talked about. Mm-hmm. So for us, if we're talking about it, then we're not doing something right uh, because it's the actions that will define whether your purpose is being held up or not. And uh, and like I've said before, it's it's when you're truly under pressure that you realize whether the values and the purpose that a company has are are worth anything. Right. So for me, it serves as a guide uh, personally, and uh, and you know this past year has uh, has shown whether we whether we live up to it or not. And when we say, "Are we with you?" Uh, whether it was getting all our employees home as quickly as possible, uh, looking after their safety, whether it is you know making sure that they have. Uh, good chairs to sit on, equipment, et cetera, when they're at home. Uh, we've just, you know, we, we've given a well-being day off, for example, right now, whether we were flexible in our timing. So for our employees, are we with you? Yes. For our customers, were we with you? Absolutely. We saw a surge in uh, in people uh, wanting to know more about 
the policies they had, what they were covered for and not. They were working from home now. What about their home insurance policies? What about health, etc.? Uh, how we went out of our way to help with uh, the uh, uh, with the cover for uh, critical workers, uh, NHS workers too, and and how we've contributed funds uh, to the ABI, you know, to help out with businesses who who are who have suffered all. So for us, it is: Are we with you? Yes, I can see that, and people can see that without us having to say, "Oh, look, look, we're acting in line with our purpose," hmm. because people see it, people feel it. Are we in a better tomorrow? Absolutely. I mean, we've been uh, talking the, to the government uh, after auto enrollment of pensions, where you know everybody had to start putting some money for their pensions. All those people, those monies goes into what we call default funds. Most people don't change where they put their money, and we're saying all those funds should be invested in companies that are doing well, better for the environment. Are we looking at that? Because that's the better tomorrow we want to achieve. Hmm. So for us. We we see it in the action, so we don't have to talk and talk about it because we're living it, and people realise that. And if we don't, um, the feedback is immediate. Sure. Uh, and that that helps us keep us on the straight and narrow. Really interesting. So, as you say, today's consumers are really sort of they are looking for value in the marketplace. They're looking for suppliers and and companies to provide them with a quality product or service at a reasonable price. But they're also looking for the companies that they spend money with to also do some some good in the world as if our job wasn't hard enough just satisfying our customers uh desires that makes the marketer's job even harder to satisfy not only their commercial needs but also the wider environmental or societal ones as well talk about that in the context of 2020 when we had so much tumultuous change and and social strife um, there are so many different stakeholders for you to satisfy. How do you make sure that you are satisfying all of the different stakeholders' requirements, but also staying true to your brand? I, uh, <laughs> I, for me, it is that uh, you're absolutely right. There, there are so many stakeholders and, and different uh, views on, on one's company. It starts with our vision and our strategy. Everybody needs to understand Aviva's vision and our strategy. That's the starting point. What are we going to do? This clarity gives all the stakeholders the context, the context behind what actions we'll be taking. Uh, it sets the expectation of what we'll be doing, not just in a very business sense, but across the board. So yes, you know there may be times when you choose to invest somewhere uh, and the investors are thinking, oh, that money might rather be spent in a dividend or, or do something else. Mm. If they can see it is aligned to the overall vision and strategy, they understand the context and they understand why it's happening. So when we talk about uh, what happened in 2020 with Black Lives Matter, DNI, I think that was a great example of how we were works really. Because, well, to be honest, when we first started off, we, we didn't know how to react. Hmm. I'll be very honest and candid about it because it came so in such a wave both internally as well, uh, that people said a lot of people were not aware. Uh, and it was not aware. When I mean not aware, I mean I'm not aware of the feelings uh, within the minority communities, I guess, that it evoked. Uh, me personally included, actually. Sure. So so what it did, what Aviva was doing is like, we listen. We will listen to understand. And when it would be so easy to just listen and respond, we took the time to really listen and understand what were the key issues and 
how our people were feeling about it. Indeed, how the minority communities were feeling about it, but also how, how you know, um, how the other people were feeling about everything. Whether some people, some white people, who were, you know, saying, "Oh, I'm, I don't know how to even approach this subject. Sure. I don't know how to talk about it." Uh, so the awkwardness, uh, or the awkwardness equally of the minority communities going, "Oh, th this is not something I wanted to really talk about at the workplace." There were some people like that too. So I think mm. it brought that openness and that honesty, and the fact that we encouraged it really helped us. Mm. And uh, and thereafter, you know, we have listened and we have policies in place and we are doing stuff. We've got like our communities across we've got six communities across whether you know related to aged care pride bame uh carers etc so we've got we've got our communities and and we're really working with them to understand and make sure that we're doing right by everybody um and that that's key actually that's key really really interesting how do you reflect on 2020 yourself from a personal and business perspective and 2020 was hard for all of us uh, not only for Black Lives Matter, but a certain <laughs> pandemic that is still yes. raging. That is still <laughs> raging. How how do you reflect both personally and professionally on 2020? On the positive side, I feel uh, anything is possible hmm. within two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you told because me we this, had to because we had to. So, I mean, ultimately, if if anybody had said, could you get you know 10,000 plus people? working from home, including the call centers, et cetera, in two, three weeks time, you'd go, oh, why should we do that? We will never, it's not possible, but we did. Amazing. Uh, could we make all our offices sort of COVID secure, make, you know, make all the safety arrangements in case anybody wanted to work in the office uh, for whatever reason, whether they had no space, mental health, et cetera. Yes, we could. Uh, whether we could um, switch our systems uh, completely online, uh, including, you know, everything, Yes. So I think for me, the positivity of that is that you can do everything hmm. and you can do it in two weeks if you really put your mind. <laughs> and that, that's a real positive thing. Right. Uh, I also want to make sure, not just Aviva, but across the board, that we don't forget these new links and these new processes that we have built for the better. Hmm. So because we had to really change so much at pace, because we had to do things so differently, we built these new processes, these new sort of almost like neurons, you know, going across going, this is how it could be done. And when things go back to normal, whatever normal is, we should retain that memory. We should retain those processes because a lot of them have been helpful hmm. and they should always be there. That's something that we shouldn't forget. I think on the on the negative side, uh, for me, it's it has been a complete, personally speaking, really, uh, uh, change in mindset when you think about work-life balance in particular. Sure. For me, the, you know, the work and life was quite, quite sort of uh, demarcated by the office. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and you would judge it by that time, right. except maybe on a Thursday or a Friday or whatever, when I decided not to go into office, which was okay. <laughs> you know, but now it's all blended into everything. Mm. And it was really causing me issues going, I don't know if this is in balance anymore and I don't like it. Mm. So, and I've changed my view on that. And it's helped me immensely, which is, uh, you know, I used to think about, oh, I'm going to stop work, get up from this chair and in my spare room at six o'clock and go for some exercise. Right. And if that happened at 6.30 or 7, 
I'll get really upset and I'll start getting, you know, oh my God, I haven't been, I haven't been. Oh my God, it's seven o'clock. I need to spend time with kids. That's not happening. Right. Oh, I've missed it. I've, it's like missing deadlines. Sure. And that was just adding to my sort of tension overall. So I've changed my whole outlook and I said, you know what? It's all one life. There's no work and sort of personal and this. It's one life. Mm-hmm. And in that life today, Raj, on a week by week or a day by day basis, you're going to exercise for one hour, spend time with the kids for an hour playing, help them with their homework or schoolwork. And that can happen any time in the day. And I can't tell you that that just that little switch is such a relief for me that I don't have to go for exercise at 7 a.m. in the morning every day because there might wow. be an early morning call. Right. But I might go for a walk at 10. 10 a.m. because I have a break in the diary or I can take a call while I'm walking or or I might go at 7 p.m. in the evening. So just flipping that on its head and saying, these are the things I'll do and I'll fit them in my day is more than enough rather than assigning times to something which I used to do before. <laughs> really interesting. So you exercise for an hour a day. Is, is that is that every day? It is every day. What do you get from that? Do you find that you have greater clarity, greater energy throughout the day to complete all the tasks that you need to complete. What what do you get from exercising seven days a week? That would be gargantuan and surprising to a lot of people. Well, when I say exercise, it is just, uh, it is mostly an hour's walk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, don't but imagine still. me in a, in a gym. <laughs> oh, okay, it's not CrossFit for, or swimming across a lake. No, it's not, it's not a Peloton. It, it's, 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 it's nothing. It's, uh, it, 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 it's, to be honest, for me, it's a change. It's a change of scenery. Yeah, I desperately need that. Uh, being being stuck in one room or one house is is not healthy for anybody. Sure. I think. I mean, I take the kids out maybe for an hour's walk with me on that too. So for me, is an hour of getting out, having a complete change of scenery, and shutting off from anything else. Mm. Because I'd like to enjoy the moment, whether it is work or or other, be fully concentrated on that, mm. and that helps you enjoy it, or and that helps you you know sort of finish the task in my mind. So when I am walking, I am walking and I'm enjoying what is around me and I'm taking in what is around me and not really thinking about work. So that for me is that recharge. When I'm with my kids, I am 100% there. I don't have the phone with me uh, and I don't quickly check a football score or, or, check, <laughs> or check an email or anything like that. Oh, so You're much better so, than me then. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me, it is that it, you, you should enjoy the moment. You should you know fully concentrate and give, give your hold to that particular task. Sure. Um, even if you're multitasking, at least you know, for that one hour, you're going to be doing these three or four things mm. that might happen. But be immersed in it. Really interesting. Raj, final question before we get into our, our speed round, and then I'll let you go. Um, let's talk about choosing and, and appointing agencies. You must have worked with lots of agencies over your career at, at different organizations. Selecting an agency partner is probably one of the most important decisions that any client can make. It's very easy to pick up the phone and hire an agency on the spot, it's far more difficult to really find an ideal partner to reshape your approach to the way that you think about marketing and really propel the business forward. What's the best way in your mind of choosing and finding an ideal agency partner? So I think for me, you know, people make the agencies as such. And whether it is a small independent or 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 you're talking about a larger agency, in the small independents, you get the advantage that, you know, you might have the founding partners with you, hmm. uh, less likely so in the larger, more successful agencies. Uh, but the key to it is know your day-to-day team, who's going to, not the ones who are going to be the jazz hands when it hmm. comes to pitch, but who is going to be key there day-to-day, who's going to be on it. 
and that chemistry is so important. I like to speak to them directly, informally, not in sort of uncomfortable meeting rooms through officials, be too officious about it. Mm-hmm. But look at the work they've done and know a bit more about them, what inspires them, uh, you know, what kind of work inspired them that, that didn't happen and why is also quite important. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have some common ground, you know, even if, if you are awarded that luxury and it's not a big pitch that has to be just done, work on some small live projects, paid, of course, no, don't ask them for do it for free, which I hate, uh, and then see if you can uh, work together, share similar perspectives, you know. Then you know the team, you know their thinking, you know whether they can stretch you, they know the direction you can go. That chemistry is so important. Hmm. I think that's that's what makes it. Raj, I can talk to you all day, but we're fast running out of time. Let's get into our speed round. I'll fire some questions at you. If you can <laughs> fire some answers back, that'll be great. These are more about you, the the person behind the brand sort of questions. What's your guilty technology pleasure? Oh, gosh. Well, overall, my phone, obviously, but for multiple things. <laughs> I, don't, sure. I don't know if who would give me a different answer, but my phone. Uh, and otherwise, I think, um, yeah, that's the one that immediately comes to mind, actually. Great. That's fine. Um, it's, it's probably um, a very similar answer for a lot of people as well. What, what's the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? The kindest thing, mm. uh, giving me direct feedback. Ah, you don't like when people are sort of more squishy. I think kindness doesn't mean, for me personally, kindness doesn't mean weakness. It means it means that, you know, even when things are going wrong, you should tell people up front uh, about it because mm. you're just looking at somebody fail or looking at somebody who could develop but not. And for me, I've had a couple of bosses in my past who, who have told me that's that's not right or that's not going very well at all. Mm. Uh, and I see that as kindness. Mm. I think if you're not performing well, you should be informed immediately and you should be, you should have that discussion of what you could do better. And, uh, and I, that's what I mean by direct, it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean the way you deliver it is blunt is, is, you know, the tone in which you deliver it is quite important for me. So sure. for me, that's some of the kindest things that have been done for my career, uh, professionally speaking. Hmm. Which CMO in your opinion, has the most difficult job in marketing right now? Oh, I couldn't name one, but I would say, I would say the whoever is looking after the uh, travel tourism, hospitality kind of businesses. My hats off. They they have a real tough time between. I mean, obvious for obvious reasons, but also when they you know when things come back, when people are allowed in, it'll be it'll be such a scrap for short term targets versus brand building, and mm. both are so important for your success going forward. I mean. I think they have a really tough job right now. What excites you most about your current role and position? The challenges it brings, the people I get to meet and the impact I get to have. Hmm. Three things, uh, very simple. It is It is just, you could face something that you've never heard of, thought of before. Uh, you could, the other day I had a very interesting conversation about soil composition, huh. which I was not expecting at all. <laughs> right. uh, so, you know, it, it could be something, uh, like that to uh, to the kind of people you get to meet such such amazing people yeah. uh, who you can learn from every day and uh, and finally it is of course the kind of impact uh, that you can have hmm. and my final question raj what advice would you give to a recent college graduate or university graduate who wants to start their career in marketing and brand development it's a good one uh i actually just had a piece in the marketing week about three questions i'd ask myself as a junior marketer Say we can go read that and here's a little plug-in for that but uh, <laughs> but otherwise because it, it was just uh, a couple of weeks ago i think the the one thing i would say is go out of your comfort zone 
and by that i don't mean even role wise i mean if you if you if you're not a confident uh, public speaker speak if you're if you if you want to learn about uh, something some new platform or some new analytics go on a project even if it's side of the desk and it takes a lot of hours do it if you want to move industries do it if you want to move a country do it go out of your comfort zone stretch yourself because it will help you in the long run hmm. really good advice raj thank you so much for doing this no thank you for having me it's been fun if you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email elva at fox.agency. Our media production team are Zoe Woodward, Jennifer Brennan, and Ben Fox. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.